This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Small Biz America. The Brain. Wes Higby helps organizations make the leap from today to tomorrow. He says there are many needs beyond the software itself that nobody's really looking at, nobody's taking care of, nobody's focused on. Those are the needs that he is addressing today with his company, Full City Technology. Uh, the website, fullcitytechnology.com. Wes, welcome to the program. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So it looks, from the outside looking in, I'm really glad to have you here because I don't think, uh, I think this is a blind spot for a lot of consultants. You are at your core, if I understand it right, a technology provider, but you decided to kind of take a different angle into management consulting. Contextualize all of this for us, if you can, Full City Technology, and how are you doing this thing differently? I think that there's oftentimes a bigger picture to business, uh, that we're not always, we, we tend to become technical experts, whatever our domain is, whether that's technology, which is my background, digital technology with computers, um, or perhaps we're just an expert at the law or we're, we're an expert at, uh, at taxes. We, we become experts at what we do and we focus on that and not on the bigger picture of business, of business about, uh, being creating something that didn't exist um, or creating something for our customers that they don't have or sometimes just even being there for our customers. There's a bigger side there's a bigger side to business than just the expertise that we have and providing that expertise to other people. Yeah, you're taking the myopic view that many technicians have in their business practices or businesses that, that seems to be missing. Just broaden it to an extraordinary experience, delivering something for a customer. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. Delivering value, yeah. There's some interesting language in sort of the show note preps that you uh, sent over, and uh, I like to probe into some of this stuff. When you say learning isn't about knowing, it's about influencing future behavior. And, you know, many have said that sales is about influencing future behavior, but Talk to us a little bit about, you know, sort of peel that out a little bit and uh, talk to us about it. Yeah. So Let's expand that. Yeah. Learning, is, learning is a passion of mine. Uh, I have a stack of books I'll never get to, and I have another stack of books I'm working through. <laughs> One of the things I noticed, uh, you know, we all get this advice from many different sources, maybe from a book, maybe from another consultant, maybe from somebody we respect. We get these tips and tricks. For example, uh, we've all been told that micromanagement uh, doesn't work very well if you want to scale a company. Uh, we've been told that, but in the moment, that doesn't mean that we're going to have faith in people and actually allow people to have some additional responsibilities. That, so that's one example where we can know something, 
um, that micromanagement might not be effective, but that doesn't mean that we act on it. Sure. Uh, and, and then another example maybe to help out too is, uh, and this one probably a lot of people feel, is when the wrong customer comes through the door, we know we should be filtering out those wrong customers because wrong customers absorb our capacity so that we can't help the right customer when the right customer comes through the door. And I'm sure we've all been there where we've been overwhelmed with uh, making a bunch of people happy, and then this golden opportunity comes along, and we just don't know how to squeeze it in. Yeah, the bandwidth. We, yeah, we can, so we can know that the, we can know that we should say no to the wrong customer. That doesn't mean that when the wrong customer comes to the door, that we actually say no to them. Right. Yeah. So there's this gap between knowing something and acting on it. And so I've found that a I, a better way to look at learning is not just mere knowledge acquisition, but changing my behavior. What's the point of knowing something if it's not going to influence my behavior? So when I approach tips and tricks and when I read a book, I'm looking for the things in that book uh, that I would like to incorporate into my behavior in the future. And then I'm asking myself the question, how do I go about changing my behavior? I'm not asking, how do I go about memorizing all these tidbits? Uh, I don't need to memorize that micromanagement doesn't work. I need to actually act on that. I don't care if I can think of it in the moment, but I need to act on it. So that's what I think helped me then work backwards and come up with some really good techniques for changing how I work um, and help other people change how they work. If we start with changing our behavior is what we want, right? Mm-hmm. We can ask ourselves, well, what guys are behavior then? So we get out of mere knowledge acquisition when it comes to learning, and we start talking about what guides our behavior. And, you know, there's many ways we can slice and dice this, but one thing that comes to mind, back when I was a kid, uh, I liked to play, or we all probably are familiar with the game Waldo, Finding, finding Waldo, Where's Waldo? Right. And if you, if you play that game, as you're playing the game and you're looking for Waldo, you start to think about what it is you're doing to actually find Waldo, and you'll realize it's pretty much an automatic process. You're just going to scan over... Uh, the picture in front of you, and eventually, eventually, what you'll find if you kind of look at yourself introspectively, or if maybe you have somebody else watch what you're doing in the process, is when you find Waldo, you'll get a sense of excitement. You'll feel a sense of excitement when you find what you're looking for. That's right. There's an emotional and, satisfaction attached to the find. Yeah, and I, you know, I recorded myself doing this because I was curious about what what it looks like <laughs> yeah. as I'm playing the game. And, and, you know, while I'm looking, I'm very focused. Um, if you look at my facial expression, it's almost like it's very bland, almost like borderline, you know, frowning because that's, that's what you tend to do when you're focused intently on the task. But the second that I thought I found Waldo, I perked up. Like, I, I didn't even know this happened. My eyes opened up. I smiled a little bit. I didn't even know this was going on until I recorded myself to see it, see it happen. Um, so there's a feeling that we have, and that's what guides us. Our, our feelings are what guide our behavior is what it ultimately comes down to. And so a simple game like Waldo can help us understand that. It's not like we take a picture of Waldo, you know, and we hold it over and scan it next, you know, like hold up an individual small picture of Waldo and, and slide it up and down next to all the different people on the, the, the big image where we're trying to find Waldo. Uh, no, we just kind of look and we know what Waldo looks like. We believe 
we know what Waldo looks like. And thus, when we think we've found him, we get excited because we feel something. And that is the second component to this. Um, behavior is driven by our feelings. Our feelings are driven by our beliefs. So we can believe we know what Waldo looks like. And our beliefs can be wrong. For example, uh, when I did do this recording, I had found Wendy, which is Waldo's girlfriend, who looks a lot like Waldo. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) shortly thereafter, I had another surprise as I found Waldo not too far away. Yeah, so our beliefs can be wrong, but that doesn't mean that we don't feel excited uh, when when we think something confirms something we believe. Uh, our beliefs can also be short-sighted. So there can be things that can go wrong with our beliefs. Our beliefs can also work really well. For example, finding Waldo in a picture is pretty amazing, right? Uh, our belief of what Waldo looks like is a key part of finding Waldo in that image. If, we, right. if we've ever played the game before, we won't be able to play it uh, without maybe having a picture to refer back to. But it's uh, So our beliefs can be good and can be helpful and unhelpful when it comes to feeling things that then guide our behavior. So we can kind of peel back the layers of the onions then and get to this uh, more central point, which is if we want to influence our behavior, we have to start with our beliefs. So instead of just coming at learning from, well, I've got to memorize these facts, and then somehow that will play into my daily routine, and it might, but right. it's not going to be very effective. Right. We now have a, we can now have another journey we can take. We can say, all right, What matters to me? What do I want to change about my behavior? Much more interesting question than what knowledge do I want to learn? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, (laughs) we can all think of things we want to change about our behavior. For example, um, time management, I think, is something that plagues a lot of people, especially especially once you become somebody who's needed in a business, a business owner or anybody in a management position. Not overwhelming your schedule, not somehow working 50, 60, 70 hour works. And we all 50, 60, 70 hour weeks, we all do that, but we all know that that's not productive. Uh, at least it's not a healthy thing for us to be doing. And we've heard many tips and tricks. You know, you should keep slack time, right? You should only ever maybe schedule half of your time. Yeah. The other yeah. half can be absorb whatever happens, but that doesn't happen. We schedule, we schedule a hundred percent of our time and then we use another hundred percent to absorb what goes wrong. Uh, you know, tips you could, the, the getting things done book by David Allen, uh, we have a whole plethora of tips in front of us. So that doesn't always help us change our behavior when it comes to managing our time. But if we look at this other route, instead of the tips and tricks alone, and don't me wrong, the tips and tricks can influence the types of beliefs that you'll want to form. But if we come this other route, we say, okay, if we say, okay, beliefs influence how I feel and feelings influence how I act. And that's key. Feelings are what drive our action. We don't do things because we know to do things. We do things because we feel to do things. Okay. I just, I wanted to insert a question here. So it's been said by some sort of behavioral coaches that talk about this emotional component around behavior and beliefs. Where in your world or your model in your learning model or your teaching model, does the management of thoughts fold in? In other words, do thoughts precede beliefs that that then lead to emotional feelings about what my activities are? Or how does the thought management piece fold in, in, in at least in terms of your approach? Sure. So, I, and thoughts, of course, is, a, is not necessarily a specific. Yeah, it's very <laughs> broad. I, I yeah. hope we're talking, yeah. I hope we're talking term to term, but okay, so let's just talk about the idea of having thoughts, like, for example, that I would like to have slack time. That's a thought, right? Okay. I see thoughts as being something that can, 
uh, in the, in regards to learning, thoughts spur us to want to be introspective about our beliefs to see what's getting in the way. For example, um, the biggest thing that gets in the way of time management as you're making changes to how you manage your time is you're really judgmental about your failures, more or less. So it's really hard to change how you manage your time. And a lot of times when we go a month of trying some new technique, for example, allotting slack time, and it doesn't work, we are really hard on ourselves. We believe that we're a bad person, that we're somehow incapable of doing this. Come on, we spent a month on it. Why can't we see any progress on this at all? But sometimes some things, like changing how you manage time, involve a lot of deeply held beliefs that are hard to change overnight, and we have to have the compassion to change. So thoughts are the precursor that can get us to look at these things. So we know that um, slack time should be working. Well, why isn't slack time working? Well, perhaps it's because uh, perhaps it's because I'm being too judgmental about myself. Perhaps I'm taking on work that I shouldn't be taking on for um, because I, I, I want to help somebody, right? Maybe I'm trying to help somebody that I really can't help. And if I acknowledge that I can't help everybody and kind of let go of the, the need or the belief that I have to help everybody, um, maybe I would have some more time to do a good job for the people that I can't help. Okay, okay. By the way, we're visiting with Wes Higby, author, creator of many courses, interviewed on many venues, including the Businessology Show, The Art of Value, and Agile.fm. And of course, you've got a blog over at uh, Wes Higby. Dot com. Wes, I, I, I wanted to uh, drill into the process you use to help companies implement this approach you have to behavioral change. So what does that look like and what kinds of companies or professionals are you currently working with right now? Just give us a sense of sort of your practice and your, your business services. Sure. So, you know, I think the very first step in the process that I use is, and this might seem a little cliche or... Uh, I don't know, but it's really important that a person believes that they can believe anything. And I say that's cliche because if you really look at the definition of a belief, well, a belief doesn't have to be something that's true, right? We can believe anything. That's right. It's just a matter of believing it, right? Mm-hmm. But now going from picking a belief to actually believing it and feeling it is a different story. But if we believe that we can believe anything, then we're on a good journey, if you will. So that's the first step. Uh, if you if you don't believe you can believe anything, then you've got to start there and you've got to understand why you have resistance with that idea. Otherwise, you won't change your beliefs because you will doubt yourself the whole way. Once you've done that, then the next thing is determine what you want to believe in the future, right? So, uh, for example, the, customer, the wrong customer's coming through the door. You would like to feel when the wrong customer comes through the door that they're the wrong customer. You would like to feel an overwhelming sense of no, so that you maybe say no automatically. So that's that step where you've got to step back and say, well, I'm not there now, but this is what I would like to believe. Mm-hmm. It's very positive. You're being very optimistic. A, you're believing you can believe anything, and B, you're saying this is what I'd like to believe. Okay. Then you step back and, and, and say, where am I at now? And this is the really key step is what do I believe now? And it's usually the things we believe now that we have to let go of. We have to get rid of some beliefs to be able to adopt new beliefs. Uh, if you want to feel that somebody's the wrong customer, then, for example, you might need to realize that right now you believe that any business is good business or 
more importantly, I think I mentioned this a minute ago, that you want to try and help everybody. I had this one happen to me the other day. Somebody came to me. It's legitimately something I could help them with, but they just weren't the right customer for me. And I had to tell them that. And that was so hard for me. Even still, like I still get beat myself up a little bit about it because I'm like, why isn't it? I can't find a way to be able to help anybody. But that belief that I need to help anybody uh, is something I'm actually even still trying to get rid of. That's something that gets in the way then of the wrong customer coming through the door because you have this emotional situation where somebody comes to you and needs you. That's powerful. Yeah, exactly. You, you, it, it takes you over. Yep. Yeah. You can get hijacked really by it feels, almost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you. so that becomes your focus. Right. And right. a lot of times we can't focus on very many things when it comes, our feelings are driven by very few things usually. Uh, hmm. And something like that is hard to overcome with reason or thought. And that's why we have to build up a belief that the wrong customer will take us down the wrong path. So that's where we have to tap into our history and know that we missed good opportunities or we had these really disheartening projects that we had carried out with these customers. It just didn't go well. The whole thing blew up. If we look back at those bad customers and we build up how we feel about all those situations where we took on work we shouldn't have, we can use that to become something that might be as big as that overwhelming feeling of being able to help somebody. And then you've got two things sitting next to each other where maybe you'll have the chance to just trigger a thought that, Hey, this doesn't feel right. I know I want to do it. So I've got these conflicting feelings. Maybe I should step back and see if this is the right customer or the wrong customer. Wes, when you work with your clients, uh, how does it look? Do you do they book a number of consultative sessions face-to-face? Do you do a lot of your work by phone or Skype uh, to work with them and probe them into their thought process, their belief systems, and how to sort of, I'll say, redirect their beliefs to get the results they actually want uh, intellectually? Or in other words, how do you implement the, co- the work yeah. that you do? Yeah. <laughs> it, it can happen in many different ways. Uh, I think a, a lot of the time, if I were to generally generalized about how it happens. It's just as things come up that we're working through. So we identify, if you identify what you want to believe and what you believe now, then it's just a journey, right? And so it can, it can be via phone. It can be in person. Um, it can be via email, actually. Wow. Helping people reinforce those, reinforce, I mean, most, most of the time it's some type of um, verbal interaction to be able to talk through what somebody is feeling now versus what they would like to feel. And just looking at the difference between those two and finding the next step that can be taken to feel a little bit differently, right? It's a very iterative process after that point, after you know where you're going and where you are. Um, Changing your beliefs is is very much a reflective process. You've got to reflect on that, and then you've got to try and take some action on it. And that action can be simply being aware. So the wrong customer could come through the door, and you might still take the business, but you might be aware that they're not quite the right customer and you might be trying to find a way to filter that out in the future, right? So maybe sure. you find out a week after you get in with this customer that they, your suspicions were right, they're the wrong customer. At that point, you have to figure out what you do with that customer, but you can use that information then the next time somebody comes in to see if the same factors are present. And maybe that next customer that comes in, you actually say no to. So your change doesn't have to happen overnight. It right. won't in most right. of these situations. Any any um, any belief change that is 
worthwhile to you know have a conversation about. You know, yeah. it takes some time. Yeah, now, yeah. some people can change in a matter of days. Some people um, can change in a matter of weeks or months, and it's really dependent on what it is they're trying to change more than the person. Wow. Wow, so much to cover. I, I think we should do this again. The website is yeah. www.fullcitytechnology.com. Uh, the blog, weshigby.com. Of course, we've been visiting with Wes Higby. Uh, all things behavioral psychology is applied to business improvement, helping people learn is your passion. Wes, great stuff. Uh, we'll have to do this again. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me, David. Small Biz America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.